welcome to Optimistic Tales. I am your host, Dr. Eric M. Moody. So uh, my, my guest today is, in my opinion, a truly optimistic tale. And I told David, first of all, say hello, David. Hey, David, how are you guys? David Dye. Yes. And uh, he's a uh, teacher uh, here locally at Barton Academy. And but, but here's what David does. David teaches math to bright young middle school students. Okay. Let me repeat this. He teaches middle school students. So we know what age, eighth grade. Sixth, seventh, eighth, eighth okay. and eighth grade, yeah. Eight. Algebra one, uh, geometry, algebraic connections, algebra two with trigonometry, discrete math, some other math analysis. I'm dazing over just saying those words. And so I know my listeners now are thinking, okay, and they're going back to their math, eighth grade math teacher and the nightmares they may still have with trying to learn math at that age. But what I, in my opinion, what I think makes David an optimistic tale is even after he somehow has convinced the students that they need to learn math, right, and to, to function in this world and why it's important to them, they then turn around and vote him Lanyap's Magazine's Nappy Award winner as the coolest public high school teacher in Mobile County. And when I saw that, I thought, now there's an optimistic tale. You are doing something right. You know, I'm, I'm thinking while I'm, I'm looking at this going, okay, David, who are you and what'd you do with my 1970s math teacher? You know, because yeah, right. it is not you. <laughs> and so I welcome you. So I reached out to David and he was happy. Matter of fact, you were on a conference in Washington, D.C., you know, doing what you do and learning your profession. And, right. and, and, and we may get into some of that discussion. But, but uh, without further ado, uh, David Dye is... Uh, going to give you a little bit about his background now, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for having me. Um, so, some context, I am currently in my seventh year of teaching. Okay. I started um, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, at Hillcrest High School. I'm okay. an alum of the University of Alabama, so my first year We teaching, won't hold that against you. <laughs> roll tight. <laughs> um, and so, I started uh, my first year of teaching in the same school. I had my internship, and okay. it was just a, a natural kind of transition for me. A right. couple teachers in that department retired. I filled in, and then when my wife and I got engaged, mm-hmm. um, we decided, you know, where better to live than back at home. So Absolutely. we decided to move back, um, settle in Mobile, and right. I started teaching at my alma mater, Alma Bryant High School. Out in Ballabattery. Down in Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so I taught down there for three years, um, and then when Barton Academy was kind of in its early stages of beginning and hiring, I didn't really have any interest of leaving right. Alma Bryant, leaving home, but the project-based learning uh, focus, the entrepreneurship focus, the world studies aspect of it really intrigued me. And so right. I interviewed and was excited to be offered the opportunity to start Barton Academy for Advanced World Studies with uh, the amazing faculty that we have. And right. I've been there. This is year three. And okay. Currently, I am a National Board Certified Teacher. I uh-huh. serve on the National Council uh, of Teachers of Mathematics Board of Directors. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything you've, else. You've gotten, to... well, I, I, I got a whole list here. <laughs> Alabama Secondary Teacher of the Year for 2021. Uh, I, 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 I like this one because I'm a former uh, Air Force re- uh, retiree. Air Force Association STEM Teacher of the Year for 2021. Uh, Extra Yard Teachers Award recipient, WKRG Golden Apple recipient. Uh, the list goes on, so yeah. you know, don't hold back if you remember <laughs> something. You, you're, you're obviously a professional in your uh, field 
of mathematics. That's no doubt about that. But what, what interests me is the connection with your students. And I'm going to uh, read a quote that, uh, from the article from the Nappy uh, magazine, I mean the Nappy Awards, that, that uh, when you won it, they had a you know, nice, nice picture. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> you clean up well. Here's the quote, and then we'll we'll just dissect this. Um, you said uh, about being supportive presence outside of the classroom is what you believe separates you from other educators. It's that emphasis on building strong, meaningful relationships with my students and their families, and bringing that out in the classroom. So it's not just the students. You you recognize that when the students leave the classroom they're not just going to avoid where they're sitting there contemplating what you told them all day and then come back and they're, they're in a totally different environment. Uh, also, it's about celebrating the uniqueness each student brings to the classroom and where math can be positioned to help them understand the world a little bit better. So, so talk to me, what gave you, why did you even come up with that idea? To, to help students, you know, you could have easily, once they left the classroom, you washed your hands, went back to work, went back home, and you know watched TV, whatever you do. Right. What made you think that that was going to be effective in teaching kids about math? Yeah, I think a lot of where my current philosophy is is grounded and rooted in my early first year teaching experiences. Okay. Um, I taught a group of students whose socioeconomic status, demographic background was vastly different than right. uh, what I grew up in and what I know culturally right. um, for myself and. I had a really hard time engaging them in the classroom just because I never had the opportunity, nor did I spend the time my first year building right. meaningful relationships with those kids. Okay. Uh, and it translated in the classroom where, you know, classroom management issues as an early career teacher, they didn't care about the math. They had no um, idea <laughs> as to what it is I was trying to get them to understand so that, right. you know, we could make sense of things and, and move forward. Uh, so I had a lot of trouble meeting students where they were at. Right. knowing where I needed to get them uh, to go right. beyond my class um, just for future success. And so once I left my first year there, I you know went back to my alma mater. It really helped me think back to my roots. Okay. Uh, being back home with my parents and really reflecting and thinking about, you know, I'm the only Asian teacher in this whole area. Right. There is a great... Uh, celebration of diversity in that community. Absolutely, uh, with, with the oyster yeah, uh, industry. This, yeah, and the seafood yeah. industry there is yeah. vibrant. Um, there's a lot beyond um, your traditional, you know, school demographics. Uh, the right. Asian demographic is is vast. Uh, Vietnamese right. students, Laotian, Cambodian. So right. for me, being that model uh, in the classroom was something that I really thought was going to be. Uh, a point of emphasis for me. Right. I wanted to make sure that the students saw themselves where I was. Absolutely. And that's what inspired them go into a classroom and see a math teacher that looks like them. Exactly. Right. And so they are knowing that, well, I need to build relationships with those kids so that they can see themselves in me and who knows, maybe potentially pursue a career uh, in education. Right. But at the same time, knowing that I can't exclude all the other kids that Absolutely. You know, I'm, you know, I'm serving all of them. And right. so uh, from that moment forward, it was really just I got to get to know who they are, where they're coming from, what they're bringing into my classroom, mm -hmm. and then really celebrating and highlighting those assets, right. um, and then using the mathematics to, to build those connections. Right. And so for me, um, my philosophy is really about, you know, I don't teach math, I teach students, 
math okay. is the vehicle that I use right. to communicate okay. uh, to students, um, you know, how they can be a better person. Right. And so with that, uh, you know, positioning them to understand the world around them. I, I love storytelling and mathematics and really tying uh, numbers and words to meaning and context that and is relevant. And you use that in them. the classroom, the storytelling? Absolutely. I've got so how do you come, where do you come, come up with your stories? Where do you get your stories? Yeah, so um, the Extra Yard for Teacher grant that you mentioned previously right. that uh, South Alabama awarded me, thank okay. you all, uh, was for uh, what I call the Look Like Me Library, which is a collection okay. of stories written by people of color about characters of color right. in STEM. Okay. And so think kind of like hidden figures okay, or Henrietta right. Lacks, mm-hmm. uh, those types of figures. And so for me, those stories are just context for how students might think about where mathematics can be applied. Okay. And so if you think uh, about the hidden figures, NASA, right. uh, space exploration, you know, being able to tie in projectile motion mm-hmm. or the launching of a spacecraft and, and the motion that it takes and being able to graph that, what does that look like visually? Right. And so Without com- Computers, we're talking slide yeah. rules and I mean, you know, and all that stuff. And so, you know, <laughs> thinking about how technology has evolved and right. just where we can use the mathematics now to understand, you know, what they did previously and where we're going moving forward. Uh, right. I've had the opportunity to attend Space Camp in Huntsville. Oh, cool. uh, For educators, and so being able to tie back a lot of those uh, lessons that I learned into the classroom mm-hmm. and being able to model and get kids to experiment, um, collecting data and using. Um, the mathematics to model the data that we collect is right. always an opportunity to engage kids in, in ways that are a lot more than lecture, traditional-oriented kind of note-taking. Now, do you find that those type of programs also help engage the families? What are some of the challenges you have, especially in a, in a not only rural, but in, in the type of industry, the seafood industry, for example, down in Balabatri, what were some of the challenges you had in convincing the families that in fact, these programs are needed and their kids need it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, early on, I think a lot of the pushback was the style was different. Uh, I think parents were used to, based on their own personal experiences in the math classroom, Right. you sat down. The nightmares I mentioned earlier. I mean, <laughs> you take the notes, you copy the problems, the teacher gives you new problems, you work right. through those, you get it, great, you don't get it, sorry for you, You're, we're going to move on. Right, and right. so, uh, you know, for me, being able to, engage them in collaborative environments where okay. they're working in groups, they're having conversations, they're you know, talking to each other about, right. hey, what was your strategy? How did you approach right. this problem? I approached it this way. Right. Does it both work? Do neither of those strategies work? Right. Right. And so a lot of the skills that I was building uh, wasn't necessarily you know, math skills traditionally, right. exactly. but I think mathematics is a language and how we communicate right. our understanding of patterns uh, is what mathematics serves. And right. so for our students and my students in my classroom to kind of see that and then tell their parents, I think right. the kids were the ones who convinced the families, right. the caregivers that, oh, hey, what he's doing makes a lot of sense for me. Right. Um, I had the opportunity to teach students who had traditionally struggled mm-hmm. uh, in math classes. And uh, more often than not, they would tell me that, you know, the environment of the class was inviting and safe for them to feel like they can make mistakes. And, Absolutely. And, really think through the mathematics and make sense of it, whereas in the past, uh, that wasn't the expectation. And right. so um, they were frustrated with themselves and didn't really have an outlet to communicate that. And right. so uh, when those stories were shared with parents, parents came to me and were like, hey, thank you for what you're doing. Whatever it is that you're doing, it right. works. Keep rolling with it. And Absolutely. so um, for me, the, the students were the evidence. Their stories, what they told uh, was enough for me to convince the, the families that, you know, it worked. 
Oh, so how does so so? Let's jump now to to where you're at downtown Mobile at Barton Academy. For an interesting side note, my mom went to school. She graduated from uh, Murphy High yeah. School uh, in the early '60s, but she went to Barton Academy. I know the school. Yeah, she tells stories every time we drive by. She goes, "Oh, I went to school." Well, so awesome. uh, she'll have to come by and visit. Yeah. Uh, well, she's passed away. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but uh, so so the challenges you just spoke of in biometry. How did? What are some of the differences? Well, maybe let's let's talk about first some of the similarities because you know we're all humans. We all we all have our own you know interactions with our parents as far as math is concerned. Yeah. Uh, what what changed or was similar when you got to Barton Academy from when you were at, at the place in that was Tuscaloosa. In, yeah. in, the, in that environment right. versus downtown Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, I think uh, being a magnet school, uh, parent engagement is a lot higher. Uh, okay, that, that makes process sense. Of, okay, that's you know, right. That's you've right. got to apply, and so you are very involved and proactive okay. in, in your students' academic learning. And so I think for them, it's really just making them aware that their traditional math experience is not the math experience their kid is getting. And I think they know that through the application process. Right. So as far as convincing them uh, that the practice has worked is not too much, uh, you know, on my end as far as, hey, this is what we do as right. a school. Um, right. they're, they're kind of bought into that idea. I think what keeps them interested and engaged is being able to see the fruits of their kids' labor. Okay. Uh, we have... You know, with the PBL focus, um, a public product is usually okay. kind of the end goal for what kids are, you know, showing off uh, what their learning is. Okay. And so we have open houses uh, every semester inviting parents and community to come in and see, and the right. kids get to show off, you know, the great learning that's taking place. And so for parents to say, oh, our kids were talking about how excited they were to do this project, and the kids were excited to share about right. it, um, you know, I think that not to say that the parents in Tuscaloosa weren't engaged. I right. think the level of expectation wasn't quite the same. Right. Um, it wasn't consistent in, in that regard. And so knowing that your kid is at a PBL school, sixth through ninth grade, right. I think year after year the parents are um, ingrained in the culture of the school environment okay. and it allows for uh, a lot more authentic work to, right. to kind of take place. So, matter of fact, so now what, what I'm thinking, uh, the challenge then is, it's a different challenge. You, as a, an educator, have to keep the student engaged yes. and challenged. Yes. Because now you've got, you know, the ones that w actually want to be there. Like you said, they had to apply for it, and they want to be there. And probably some of them are very smart, and you have to keep them engaged. So so how does, first of all, how do you do that? And what's your kind of teaching philosophy behind that? And does the uh, project-based learning help assist you? I mean, yeah. how much input do the students have in, to PBO? Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to talk more math and how that kind of transitions okay. into the PBO side. Sounds things. good. Um, so with my math philosophy, um, really impacted by the work of Dr. Peter Lilliadol uh, okay. and his Building Thinking Classrooms framework and uh, the work published by the National Council of Teachers Mathematics. So um, early on in my career, it's always been a focus of collaborative group work, uh, okay. working on high-level thinking tasks that um, are what are called low floor, high ceiling. Uh, low floor being accessible to all students, no barriers to entry, right. every kid can find a way to engage in the mathematics. Gotcha. High ceiling in the sense of, uh, on my end as the teacher, I can differentiate based on student level through my questioning. Okay. And so as students are progressing through the task, 
um, I'm asking more questions to you know advance their thinking, or students might be struggling on a math concept right. uh, or a particular question on a problem. Um, then I'm asking different types of questions to help them move them forward in their thinking. Okay. Now that philosophy helps translate well into PBL in that students um, have the autonomy to choose what it is that they're investigating in terms of a context right. uh, or problem and then applying the mathematics to that context. Okay. And so in the math classroom, because they're so used to me facilitating conversations and walking around group to group, right. they're used to working most of the time, you know, in their small groups without me being there. So gotcha. they have to engage and direct the conversations themselves. Right. And when they're working on a PBL project, it's very much the same idea where you're working in your group, in your team to develop this final product that you want to show off. Right. You have to manage your time. You have to ask each other questions. Hey, are we doing the right thing? But at the same time, providing them the supports via rubrics, self-assessments to mm -hmm. say, hey, are we moving in the direction that we need to be? What right. questions do we have? How can Mr. Dye help us get to where we need to go? And right. then I come in and kind of you know fill in there. But with PBL, students have to have that choice. They've got to right. choose uh, and be given options to, to think through and explore what it is that they want. Right. Uh, and then the voice comes in that kind of final product. What right. it is that you want to present uh, and share your thinking. Right. And so a lot of the math framework does lend itself well to PBL. Um, challenges cross-curricular. Right. And so a lot of my projects are kind of contained math or, or STEM-related. Okay. Um, but we're looking and, and slowly making progress on connecting ELA and history to the math and, and really right. being... Uh, cross curricular across the board. Right. Do you, so do you do you uh, have opportunities or have had opportunities for students to to engage in, in feedback that actually you said, hey, I never thought about that. That's a good idea. And changed your. I've had that. You know, in, in my teaching over the years, that you know, I'll have a case that we I used to write exercises in the Air Force. So when I got here, I started doing case studies. You know, and I'd write, I'd develop the exercise and the case study and build the scenarios so that mm -hmm. the students would have this that they could apply their concepts and I had one student a few years ago oh, that's, <laughs> that was my uh, that was my great idea music <laughs> so um, so I had a student that you know it was just a, a scenario that was the, the the point of the scenario was uh, was insignificant to what they had to do but there was a detail in there about I included one of the states, and I said, you know, they came across the Canadian, Wisconsin, or Michigan border, and blah, blah, blah. And I had a student, and it went through a s several semesters, and one student came in and said, uh, you know, Dr. Moody, I'm from up there, and there really isn't a border with whatever state doesn't have a border with Canada. And I said, what? And I opened it up, and, I, you know, and they were right. It didn't have a – so they corrected me. So, so do you find yourself at that level of engagement that the students have – because they're in the curriculum and, and the buy-in is so great on their part, do they give you feedback on how to improve it? Are, are they improving their own curriculum? Yeah, do that's you, a great do you, question. Do you find that? Yeah, and so for me, um, the opportunity to reflect uh, for themselves and to answer reflection questions for me, right. I'm always asking, hey, what can I do differently next okay, time? Right. And so uh, a lot of the things that have come up is just more formative assessment, essentially. Okay, is, right. You know, can you provide us with more frequent checkpoints so that we know what we're doing is on the right track before we get too far? Right. And then it's, you know, we're halfway through and we're, we're far in the left field <laughs> and not doing what we need to. Right. Right. And so, you know, kids have asked for more feedback okay. uh, in that regard so that they 
know where they're going. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me to serve more of a GPS type of thing. Okay. Hey, you made a wrong turn. You know, make right. a U-turn here, kind of deal. Uh, as recalculating, to, recalculating, right, as opposed to letting them go too far <laughs> and having too yeah. much autonomy. Yeah. Do you remember um, back before GPS, whenever you'd give directions to friends or somebody coming over, it would always be, it would always be, if you get to the bridge, you've gone too far. Right, turn correct. around. <laughs> correct. And so and that was the only direction you had. Yeah. And, and PBL is is very similar to that now because they have so many different options to present and share their knowledge. There right. isn't a singular solution right. uh, to this, and so. Um, you know, there's, you know, back to the map and GPS example, there's right. a lot of different routes to get to the same location. Absolutely. And so, you know, for the kids, it's just making sure that you're not driving too far right. away from the route to where you're going to have to make too many turns to come back. Gotcha. So, okay. Um, giving them opportunities to check in with me more. Uh, and that could be through conversation. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, them submitting pieces of their project and me giving feedback written or verbal. Um, right. It's just a matter of making sure that, uh, I'm communicating the expectations for mm-hmm. what the final product should include right. and then giving them feedback along the way to, to make sure that uh, they're progressing in a way that is productive. And, and that's awesome coming from a from a math teacher, you know, and I've, I've still, like I said, nightmares of my math, you know, professors. And, uh, and that's just awesome because, you know, I, I find myself changing rubrics, which, you know, mid-semester because I had a student that, you know, asked the question, you know, why? You know, I hadn't thought about it. I've I've always told, you know, students and anybody, you know, that the biggest red flag you can ever have on process uh, uh, production is when you hear, well, that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you, and and I find myself, if I say that to myself, that's the way I've always, I know, right, I stop myself and I say, maybe I should relook this. So I I take that feedback from students. So it's awesome that, that you're doing that but what's interesting is I, I'm teaching adult students and college students. You're teaching eighth graders, yeah. and they're doing this. Yeah. It's fascinating that that you've been able to engage them to such a level that they're, you know, the whole, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs comes into play, Bloom's taxonomy. I mean, they're way at processing and, and uh, analysis and the way they're doing this, and, and you're doing it with math, and that's what fascinates me is that it's math. This isn't a, a history class that right. you could understand, well, case studies and get involved with it and, 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 you know, interesting stories. Right. You're doing it with math. Yeah, and, you know, I think... What got you into math? Let me... Okay, let's, okay, let's yeah. go there. What yeah. got you into math? Uh, I mean, the easiest and most straightforward answer is I was always good at it. Okay. And, I, and I think, for me, I was always good at navigating math the way right. it was. Right. Uh, I knew how to play the game. <laughs> All right, um, students, you heard it here. It's a game. Well, you know, uh, going back to that traditional lecture and... Mr. Dye's got all the answers. Note-taking and, and being able to, you know, regurgitate and replicate the And that's what math was. Procedure, yeah, right? when I was growing up, you just, yeah, and two so, plus two is four, two plus two is four. Right. You know, and, one plus three is four. Wait, 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 that's a different, that's not two plus two. Well, that's a different concept, you know? Right, and so it was very procedurally oriented, and right. I was... Uh, good enough at memorizing the procedures to say, okay, I think I'm a good math student. Right. But, you know, knowing that and then pursuing a math major in college, I was like, oh, I, I don't know right. the depth of the mathematics that I thought I did. And right. so when I started taking upper-level mathematics and the questions were, well, why does this work? And, and the proof writing and, and the depth of understanding for how parts are all connected uh, has really translated in my teaching, and, right. and the kids appreciate that because when you're working collaboratively in groups, how you approach a problem might not necessarily be how I approach a problem right. if I give you a problem that has multiple solution strategies. 
And so then we could have conversations. Is that what new math is? Is that you have different, I guess, processes to get to the answer? Yeah. Because before it it was, I mean, they literally, I mean, on long division, they wanted to see how you got to that answer. Yeah. And if it didn't match what it was, you you got the problem wrong. Even if the answer was correct. Right. The process wasn't right. Yeah. And I'm like, we used to argue, but I got the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think... um, the focus on answer getting in right. the past is no longer the case now. It's, awesome. it's, it's more great. about uh, can you articulate the thinking that helped you arrive at the solution? Right. And whatever that strategy is, as long as it's mathematically sound, not to say that you can't just come up with a bunch of different things and, and say, oh, I hope you know, they don't notice. <laughs> yeah. uh, as long as you know your logic and reasoning is there um, right. and the sense-making of the mathematics is present, it doesn't right. matter so much how you arrived at that solution, uh, right. more so that you're able to communicate your thinking to others mm-hmm. uh, that what you're doing works. Right. And so uh, in the classroom, you know, being able to hear from not just me and what I might prefer as a strategy, but right. what your peers are saying, oh, hey, this is how I thought about it. This is what I did. Right. Uh, and being able to compare those strategies, and then you get to pick. Right. Does yours work? Well, if that person's is more efficient, maybe that's the route you go. Or you just choose, well, this makes sense to me. I'm going to roll with it. Right. And by giving students those options and choices to mm-hmm. say, there's a lot of different ways to arrive at the solution we're looking for. Right. Um, and being able to understand how each of the different solutions work or strategies work um, to get to that solution, I think is, you know, part for me why kids engage the way that they do in my class. Right. Yeah. So, let me, so let me ask, so when you... We're out at um, Alma Bryant. Did you were y'all doing project based learning there, or um, what? Or or did yeah. you, as as instructor, use not, not, you know you weren't just copying you know problems in a book. Mm-hmm. Did you find yourself gravitating to that, and that's why you like Barton Academy? Yeah, okay. and that, that's exactly what was happening. I was okay. doing things collaboratively in groups, having kids right. engage with manipulatives, uh, drawing on whiteboards, standing up, okay. having conversations taking them outside and doing math, right. um, scavenger hunts around the school. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all over doing all kinds of stuff. And for me at that time, uh, it was an isolating kind of feeling. Okay. Um, and so knowing that this school had that focus and emphasis on, well, I'm already doing these things. Like, I think right. that's the next progression is to be surrounded by people who are like-minded, right. who have a passion for engaging kids in right. this kind of way. Right. And so for me, um, I wasn't looking for it, but when the opportunity presented well, itself, it, it was kind of a, a great transition. And I'm still learning and uh, moving forward in my craft in terms of getting kids engaged with mathematics right. and, and connecting that to the project-based learning. Right. So, you know, kids will be kids. So what have you, what have you found have been, the in you know, in 2023, the – the distractions, I mean, I guess we know videos. There's, there's you know, they've, they've got access to a world of knowledge at their fingertips. We, I remember we were talking to some friends of ours where, you know, before the Internet, you, you get away with a lot of stuff as far as knowledge because you'd be at a party, you'd get into an argument with your friends. Well, no, that's not right. I heard, and that was it. That was the answer. Wow, man, I never knew that. I didn't know that. Wow, thanks for telling me. You could be totally wrong, but there was nobody there to right. check you. Yeah. You know, but nowadays with technology, students are able to check and, and, and find out and have those distractions. What do you see are the trend for students? Are they, is it really that bad that they're always on their phone? And, 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 or have you been able to find a method to get them from being distracted? Yeah, I think it's just engagement. Okay. I, mean, I think if you get the kids to 
really buy into what you're doing, right? those distractions are not issues because they're so interested and investigated in what you're doing. Awesome. And so that's where the storytelling piece comes in. Okay, okay. I mean, if I locked a task with a story, I'm like, hey, guys, check this out. I went to cookout the other day. I'm right. looking at their menu, and they've got like a lot of options. Right. I'm just looking at the cookout tray, right. and I'm seeing all these, you know, uh, side items, all these entrees, yeah. and, you know, some dude walks over and tells me, hey, you could order, like, over, like, 5,000 different ways. I'm like, shut up, ain't no way. <laughs> and so I tell my kids this story, right. and then I show them the menu, and I ask them, hey, is this guy right? Right. And so they're like, oh, I, we don't know. Well, <laughs> figure it out. Right. And so then we get into a conversation of, well, how can we look at options and choices and really right. think about total outcomes? And then that conversation turns into a probability-related question. And right. now we're looking at permutations. And so now there's a context, there's a story. Kids love to eat. Fast food is something that they're all familiar with. Absolutely. And so now we're tying the mathematics and really thinking about, can we validate a claim using the mathematics in terms right. of thinking about these total options based on what we can select uh, from this menu. Right. And so then, you know, they're up, they're talking, they're engaging, they're performing operations mathematically that they're comfortable with and already knowing. It's just piecing all of that together and saying, hey, now this makes sense. This guy was right or right. this guy was not wrong. And so there's a level of, you know, proving yourself right. to someone else and convincing with evidence that, you know, you're right or, or that person's incorrect. Right. And so I think, you know, those elements really engage kids because middle school kids love to be right about all the things. Well, it's because they are right, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so now I'm providing that's what, that's them the, the language mathematically, the, right. the ideas, the ways in which they can kind of think. And, and But again, you know, the distractions I think only exist if they don't feel like they're engaged in a way that allows them to really think about what's going on. Right. Uh, and I, I think that applies across all content areas. Right. I think they're going to hear this podcast. They're going to come in class next day and say, Mr. Dye, you taught us math. How dare you? <laughs> they're having so much fun problem solving, they didn't even understand that right. they're actually learning math. Yeah. So have you, uh, so you've been teaching now for seven years. So you've, have you had some opportunities to students that come back? And what are some of the things that did you have any that actually went into a math career and doing things in math? Yeah, uh, I've got a couple who are in uh, engineering fields, and okay. I've had a couple who are Facebook friends of mine that okay. will send me messages like, uh, I say, hey, I'm so glad you taught me this thing. I'm using it like almost every day now. I'm like, well, wow, that's very rare, so thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and so when kids say to me all the time, hey, when am I ever going to use this? And I'm like, well, here's a single case study, but you know, if you pursue this, uh, you might, uh, you know, end up using this. I've got a couple of students who um, aren't necessarily math teachers, but I've gone into the field of education. Oh, cool. And so, you know, for me to see former students who are currently teachers now, right. it's always rewarding. And they always, you know, come back and, and talk about how I was a teacher that kind of helps yeah. them see it's not just about the content. It's right. about that relationship building and mm -hmm. then being able to get to know kids, know their families and being a support system right. uh, for them outside of the classroom. Um, do, do you find that that's important, not just in the math field, but in all the fields? Do you, do you think that that's, that's the, uh, the key to successful education of, of if, if not middle school, just all kids, but middle school is getting that family buy-in? I and mean, is that what makes the successful story most of the time? I think a lot of it uh, has, to, has to start there. Okay. I, mean, I think if kids feel like they are hopeless, Right. And, and have no hope moving forward. And, and they've gone through a system that's just cons consistently beating them down in terms of, 
I've never felt or achieved success at any of these levels in these courses. Right. And the parents, you know, are consistently seeing that. And the messaging is just, well, maybe it's just not for you or, or we, we never were good at it either. And so we don't really know how to help. But if you help those kids find moments of success and you celebrate those right. moments of success and you tell parents, hey, your kid was really good at this thing right. this day. Let's build on that momentum. Right. I mean, every parent wants to know that their kids are doing oh, absolutely. well. I mean, I think parents don't want to see their kids struggling. Right. Um, and so being able to say, hey, your kid didn't struggle here. They did a great right. job here. But it doesn't have to necessarily be math-related either. Okay. Um, and I think for me, just being able to communicate those success stories right. and getting the parents to you know, buy into what it is that I'm just trying to get the kids to understand that if you put in the work and you believe that you can do well, right. You will do well. Okay. Uh, the power of positive self-talk for me is something that I firmly believe in. Before students come into my classroom, I have them say to me, "I believe in myself," oh. and they they don't come into the door. Oh, that's awesome! Until they say, "I believe in myself," because too often in mathematics, if you don't believe that you can do it, then you won't. But if you at wow. least can talk yourself into, "All right, I believe in myself," then you're going to come into class with. Having said something positive, so we're winning already. Right. And then I'm going to give you something that you can do, so we're winning again. And right. then I'm going to keep pushing you, building on those small levels of success so that we can do even more things. The world will be saved through a million small things. That's it. That's, that's it. I want to talk about one of your outside activities. And I think you did this up at the high school, Hill mm-hmm. High School, yeah. the Frisbee team. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell a Frisbee team story. This is our, our, our connection. When I saw that, I thought, oh, man. First of all, for my listeners, and I, I don't think I've told them this, I'm actually a Presbyterian. <laughs> I, we believe, Presbyterians believe that when we die, our soul goes up on the roof and nobody can bother us. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was in high school, kind of, a, you know, as a senior prank, I guess you could say it was, and this is in 79, we were uh, friends of ours, uh, friends of mine. Were, we were on the newspaper staff, and we were also in the band. And we formed a frisbee team. We had T-shirts made, mm-hmm. had numbers. Mine was double zero. Had uh, frisbee team because we loved playing ultimate frisbee. Yeah. Okay. School did not have a frisbee team. We kind of made up the frisbee team, mm-hmm. but we played frisbee golf, but we didn't. And back then, it was the uh, it wasn't a lot of places to play frisbee golf. I don't even think the one over in the park was here. And uh, and so, one of the friends was on the newspaper staff, and he was kind of the sports editor. So he started writing stories about the successes of the frisbee team. You know, we would actually know some people that would do announcements. I'm really spilling the beans. This is you know, a lot of people know this story, but. And it was a local high school. I haven't said the high school yet, have I? I won't say the high school. I won't say the high school. But uh, people listening might might know. But so, you know, he's talking about we would make announcements. Cause we'd hand in the announcements at the office. And they would say, Frisbee practices, you know, at 3 o'clock. And, uh, of course, nobody would show up because it wasn't a real thing. Yeah. Well, come to find out, some people did show up. And some people were upset about it. But we, you know, we handled them. You know, oh yeah, it got canceled. It got rescheduled. Oh, you, oh, we were over here. You were over there. So the the final issue of the senior year, he decides to write a. You know, we won the regional championship. Right. And we we beat another local school. Yeah. The problem was that other local school 
principal there was the former principal at my school. <laughs> and so my current principal called that principal and said, hey, our Frisbee team beat yours in the regional final. Ha, ha, ha. And he's like, what are you talking about? We don't have a Frisbee team. And that's when uh, it all hit the fan, and they we threatened not to let us graduate, and it was oh, it was man. it was horrible. Many many years, well not many years later, probably about four or five years later, uh, we ran into my friend of mine ran into our former principal, uh, and I don't want to say his name. He's recently he he was he he was a you know a great leader in the Mobile County public school system. So if I say his name, I don't know what school, and I don't want to do that. Right. But he's, he's since passed away. But at the time, he, he said, hey, Frisbee team, that was a good one. <laughs> he said, y'all know I, I had to do what I had to do, but, yeah, that was yeah. a good one. <laughs> so that's, awesome. that's the Frisbee team. So yeah. for the for the 40th reunion that we just had, uh, we put together a flyer and thing and stuck it yeah. up in the lobby of the of the oh, reunion. About, yeah. So we didn't – we actually played Ultimate Frisbee, and we made up the Frisbee team. So I want to talk to you about a real Frisbee team. Yeah. Okay, so – what did what did you, how did you get involved in it? Uh, I mean, talk to me. Did you play league? Did you play other schools? What was yeah, it? Yeah, so I really wasn't uh, introduced to Ultimate Frisbee until I was in college. Okay, uh, and so at the University of Alabama, saw some guys playing at the quad, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so right. We we got invited. We we started playing. Started playing with some church groups. Right. Um, and I got pretty good pretty quick, and right. so I started playing intramural. Uh, we started uh, just really. You know, not thinking too much of it, right. but we ended up competing well and uh, were champions my senior year right. at, at UA. How many frisbees did you own? I had like four. Did I own? Uh, because we all you have different weights. Yeah. You have the rings. You know, yeah. good good with the wind. How's the wind? Yeah, yeah. you end up. So as far as ultimate frisbees go, I probably had I don't know five or six. Six. Right. You had to with right? disc golf discs. I probably had another eight. Right. You right. know, just rotating through yeah. putters and drivers. Absolutely. And whatever it is, <laughs> I know what you're talking you know, about. Whatever it is that you need. Right. Um, I was never as good at disc golf as I was with ultimate frisbee. Right. But at the same time, I saw people of all body types playing. Right. Both sports. Right. And for me, when I started teaching, I was like, you know, there's a lot of kids mm-hmm. who need to go outside and really just, right. you know, be given opportunities to exercise and, and not necessarily your traditional football, basketball, right. track, if, if those are not the Traditional things. high school sports. Correct. Right. And so just giving them an alternative option. So when I was right. in Tuscaloosa, um, another colleague of mine and I had played Ultimate Frisbee together, and we were like, hey, what if we start up a club? Right. Not thinking too much of it. First time we had maybe four or five kids out, we just threw a disc around, mm-hmm. taught them different throwing motions, and, and just had some fun. And other kids started to see what we did. Right. And by the time uh, the end of the school year was rolling around, spring semester, we probably had 25, 30 kids out wow. there playing. Uh, and we just had a great time. Yeah. And so when I left, that was a void at Bryant that I was like, right. man, we could fill this need. Wow. And at Bryant, we... Uh, through the 21st century learning grant that the school had, right. I was able to put a program together for kids and, and athletes in their off season would often participate. So if they were baseball guys right. or, or track athletes in the spring, well in right. the fall they'd come play. Frisbee football, I mean you're running yeah. a lot. I mean you don't you yeah. don't like it's it's not like you okay blow the whistle play right. stops you reform yeah. you start again it's constant it's constant, constant movement yeah right? it's a lot like soccer in that yeah regard. absolutely and so yeah. I had some soccer players play too and so ultimate frisbee was a great way for them to stay conditioned right. uh, and learn a new sport and, and continue to play and stay active uh, but at the same time 
we had a lot of non-athletes come and play too. And for me, right. it was being able to see those kids that weren't traditionally uh, considered an athlete come right. out and play a sport right. and, and just have a good time. Right. And well, frisbee golf is, lends itself to that. Yeah. There's a lot of stopping. And, right. and just so, like in regular golf, correct. actually. Yeah. yeah, and with disc golf, you know, I was thinking about the geography of where the school was located, and you right. would have to travel quite a ways into Mobile in right. order to get to a, a disc golf course. Right. And so uh, through the grant, we were able to purchase nine baskets uh, and install them around the campus for okay. kids to use. Are um, they still there? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's and cool. so the idea behind that was not just students, but open to the community. Right. Uh, and so you can play nine forward, nine back to get a full 18. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, yeah, it was it was just a cool opportunity for me to say, hey, this is a need. Our, our kids deserve more than just our traditional sports offerings. And right. for them to get outside and, and really um, participate in athletic events that are um, open and, and catering right. to, to their needs. Um, and, and the kids responded. And so they showed up and we just had a good time. Well, I, I want to thank you for doing that for those students because we didn't have you back then. We just made it <laughs> up. We did play, though. That, that, yeah. that for sure, we did play. I mean, we had all the Frisbees, and that's probably why we did it is because we didn't see ourselves fitting in into the traditional mm-hmm. sports that were were uh, being offered versus the ones not being offered. Right. 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 So, so uh, yeah, that's a cool story. That's yeah, I appreciate neat. that. So, are you, gonna, you plan on getting one up? Yeah, you know, at Martin would be great. I think proximity being located downtown makes it a little tough. And Man, so, can you imagine that first, like the, the sixth hole going across the government? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trick shots would be going through the windows of the car sitting oh, in traffic. Or, so, or, or, or no, the trick shot is going through the bank head. Oh, there you go. There you go. So I've thought about it. I don't know what that looks like. Right. Um, but again, you know, being able to provide different opportunities mm-hmm. for kids to Absolutely. find moments of success. Okay. And I think that's what Barton Academy offers. That's right. what I try to do in the classroom every day is just if we can celebrate a moment of success, then that's something that we can hang our hats on and just right. we can stack those moments together mm-hmm. and then those moments can become habits. Yes. And, and I think success is very much uh, habits of mind put together uh, and sustained. So. Uh, just trying to teach these kids at an early age that are still impressionable, that still want to do well. Oh, absolutely. But they haven't been defeated yet right. by the system. By, hopefully that they don't. <laughs> by society defeated. hasn't put their yeah, thumb on them yet too hard. You know, talking about those distractions. I absolutely. think a lot of times social media will you know, send these messages to students and they just have a, a negative self-sense of identity. Right. Uh, and just knowing that you know, you're more than what you think you see you are. Right. Uh, and we just have to celebrate uh, and, and value those things. Yes. Finding the value in yourself. Yes. Absolutely. So uh, I appreciate you being here, man. I, yeah. I, I knew you were going to be the cool <laughs> dude. You you are the coolest math teacher that I know of. Thank you so much. Like, I, I, just, I just thought that was great. I thought I got to have this guy in here to talk to him. Um, so uh, so let's, let's end here, but I want to ask you to – you know, if our listeners are out there and they're wanting to help you or do something, not necessarily you in particular, but how can they help students, whether it's their own students or a local school they want to volunteer, to help them get involved in math, mm-hmm. to, to, to help students that, that might be uncomfortable? What, what can the local community do, if anything? Yeah, I think it's be open. I think there's okay. a lot of negative um, stories about 
what the current state of mathematics is, okay. and because it is different from what we experienced when we were right. in schools. Well, and, yeah, but we don't. We used abacuses, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, thinking about the technology, but also thinking about the ways in which students are being taught concepts and, okay. and, and what they're being asked to do and show. Right. Um, in terms of thinking and not so much uh, a procedure-oriented focus that we were used to as students. Right. And I think oftentimes as adults, uh, we get frustrated if we're trying to help a student you know, with what we've learned and not right. being open to the things that they're being taught currently. Right. And so if we're willing to have those conversations with our students and with the teachers and say, hey, can you help me understand what it is that we're doing right. um, and be open to other strategies, other ways right. of seeing and doing, mm -hmm. I think you know, that translates beyond the content. It helps us engage in social, political discourse where right. you know, we might be able to be more bipartisan than we are you know, divided and right. be exactly. able to come together and understand um, I think those attributes as adults are things that we can model for our students too right. in terms of, you know, if we are visibly frustrated with the mathematics, I think kids see that and then they think that's an okay response when they right. struggle. Right. It's to get frustrated and, and do all these other things. But if right. we're open and we're calm and we're just having conversations about, well, I didn't get it yet. You know, right. What can we do to, to understand what we need? Uh, information-wise or strategies-wise in order to move forward. And I think as adults, um, you know, those habits and, and really being open to having conversations with right. classroom teachers about, hey, what's going on? Can you help me understand? Right. Uh, will go a long way. Good, good. Well, uh, as I, I, again, I appreciate you being here. Uh, like I tell my listeners, if you uh, like what you heard, absolutely share the, uh, the episode and make sure you follow Optimistic Tales. Hit that follow button. And uh, again, David, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you. Yeah.